Hi, beer friends. Welcome back to Brews with Broads. I'm your host, Hannah Keim. This is it, y'all. The finale of season one of this here podcast. I was so honored that Tara Hankinson and Leanne Darland, the co-founders of Talea Beer, took the time to sit down with me in front of a live audience at the Talea Taproom in Williamsburg. Hearing how Tara and Leanne went from being the only two women in management at a beer e-commerce startup, scheming and dreaming about starting their own brewery in, quote, stealth mode, as they say, to quitting those jobs, getting on the shelves with one beer at Whole Foods, signing a lease on a space, weathering a global pandemic, both having babies, and finally opening their Williamsburg tap room in two and a half years? It left me absolutely gobsmacked. And you know what else blew me away? How many of you showed up and showed out? I am absolutely overwhelmed by how many people came out and supported on Tuesday night. I really can't express my gratitude. But we'll get to all the gushing after my chat with Talea Beers, Tara, and Leanne. Enjoy! All right, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I am truly verklempt. I know some of you. But some of you I don't know. I've never seen before in my life. So welcome to Brews with Broads, the live show. Um, And here we go. This is how we normally start. You don't see this part. So first of all, I have some past guests here that I would love to welcome. And Riley, Shannon Willis, Courtney Eisman is here, people, representing. Um, so as they know, it's usually me rambling at them for like two minutes about standing in front of my closet. Um, so that's the behind the scenes. But anyway, we always start with Tara Hankinson and Leanne Darland. Welcome to Brews with Broads. Yeah, well, we're having her. It's true. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yes. Um, first of all, I as I was like typing all the Instagrams about this, who who does one of you always get top billing? Like, oh, Tara. You, yeah, right. But why is that? Because alphabetically, that doesn't make sense. Talia. Ta- and there you go. We're it already could've, learning. Could have been Leanne and Tara, but it would be Liata, and that doesn't sound as nice. No. But it should be the name of a beer. Liata. Liata. Somebody write that down. <laughs> write that down. Joy. Yeah, she's got it. <laughs> um, I was just wondering that. Okay, well, first of all, we're going to get into, obviously, how that name came to be, where we're sitting in this gorgeous tap room. Okay, you can applaud. You can applaud for that. But um, first, we have, some, we have some beers in front of us. What are you, can you talk to me about what you're drinking and why you chose it, why you love it? Well, my main beer versus my backup beer. Yes, a satellite beer is um, important. <laughs> is called Basically Pumpkin. It's an autumn ale brewed with pumpkin pie spices. No pumpkin harmed in the making. Um, but it is delicious. It's 5%. It's got a lot of malty notes. But to me, it's just like the perfect, refreshing, you know, leaf-crunching fall beer. A hard agree. Can I get oh, a... and it's oh. served with a cinnamon sugar rim, unless you say no, but, I mean... Why no. would you say no to that? Chef's recommendation. It, the chef prefers no substitutions. Who's, who's having a basically pumpkin right now? Anybody? Give me a woo. You're being yeah. recorded. You're all on mic. The, right behind you? Cheers. There are microphones there, so you better react. <laughs> I don't know if I can curse in this space, but you get it. Anyway, Leanne, what are, you, are you drinking the same thing? I'm drinking the same thing. Oh. Unplanned. No cinnamon sugar rim because the whole setup scares me with the orange and it's messy. It can um, be. She poured her own drinks, but we're not, you know, we're not always like. 
I did a right. half pour too. I didn't know. No, yeah, well, you know, yeah. I hate to commit. Cold and, yeah. I will say during COVID specifically, I've become my father in a lot of ways, but <laughs> being really particular about food temperature and beverage. Yeah. Like, don't give me a beer that's not cold. Anyway, I have therapy on Friday. We can talk about that then. Um, and I'm drinking an al dente, which is our Italian pilsner. Which, who's having that? Applaud me. Um, and I really love this beer because, A, I only recently learned what an Italian pilsner is, that it was basically like an accident from the brewery Birificio um, in Italy. Anyway, you can listen to my episode with Grace Whites. So we can talk about that. But anyway, um, I love it. It's a pilsner, and for the first like month or couple months we were open, we didn't have one, and the number of people who were like, yeah, but can I just get a pilsner? And now I can say yes. Okay, well, let's cheers. I don't know if it, our mics, I'm, I'm going to go to your mic. Okay. Ooh. Try to clink. Let's see if it works. One, two. Oh. <laughs> yes. It's not recording if you're not on the mic, Hannah. Okay. Well, as I've inferred just now, and as you probably all know, I get this out of the way, I do work here. I am employed by this brewery. So kind of the reason we're here is to ask this question, um, why am I your favorite employee and what are the best things about me? I'm just kidding. Please don't answer that. Um, that's a joke I wrote down that I thought of last night. So, um, how many of you are here for the first time at the Talea Tap Room? We, uh, again, applause. Make some noise. That's a lot of people, right? So, I'm excited. And let's, before we talk about how this tap room came to be, what we're drinking, I want to know about you as humans. So, yeah, your favorite thing. You probably have to talk about yourself so much, right? In the interviews like this? Uh, well, no one asks about us. They ask about the business. Good. Well, here. I want to know about you. And because to switch up the traditional top billing, Leanne. Oh. I have, I know, I know things, but yeah, like hit me with the bio. Where are you from? The bio. How'd you get here? Uh, I grew up in Mason, Ohio, which is close to Cincinnati. Um, if you're a Skyline chili lover, you're in good company. Mm. Anyone? Round of applause for Skyline Chili. What about, what about Grater's Ice Cream? Grater's Ice Cream and uh, Ryan Guy's Brewery is pretty fun oh, yeah. spot. Never um, but I left there when I was 17, so never really experienced that. Uh, went to undergrad in Annapolis, Maryland, which is the Navy's version of West Point down at the Naval Academy. Um, and studied economics there. Um, graduated a bit early. Got a master's in finance because I love numbers, I love economics, and then served for five years in exchange for my undergrad degree. So I was a signals intelligence officer, uh, so I would go, I reported through the NSA, but would go from ship to ship on deployment um, to help them position ships off the coast of certain countries to collect um, intelligence. So that was fascinating and awesome and scary. Um, was fortunate enough to be stationed in Hawaii for three years uh, and then San Diego for two years. So did a few deployments during that time, um, but uh, the Navy is the best service to be in because you're always by a beach. Um, <laughs> and when I was in San Diego, I lived on Coronado Island and fell in love with craft beer. So that was 2013. So IPA Mecca right in my backyard, and Coronado Brewing Company's tap room was right around the corner. 
uh, from my, my now husband's apartment. So we'd go there all the time. I was fascinated by all the different beers they had every week, loved the chill environment. Just like, man, isn't that the dream to have a brewery of your own? Like, everyone wants that, right? Everyone wants their own cupcake shop. They want their own stationery shop. Or, like, <laughs> they want the Carrie Bradshaw life. There's all these dream jobs. Um, but a brewery kind of got stuck in my mind. So I wasn't uh, courageous enough to make the leap yet. I got out of the Navy, moved up to San Francisco, got a job working in finance at Google, uh, which was an incredible place to work and I loved it, but it was a little too big and I still had beer on my mind. So I decided to leave Google, um, start home brewing, emailed a bunch of breweries in the San Francisco area to see if I could come and work for them for free. I'll clean kegs, I'll wash your floors, I'll do your finances. Um, Thank you, sorry, oh, please hold. Oh, that's okay. See, this is what you get, this is what that ticket's paying for, the live experience. Yeah. <laughs> and the beer. I mean, can, while, while you're paused, okay. I, thank okay. you. While you're paused, I feel like mm. my jaw was on the floor hearing about your naval service. Like, mm. that's fucking amazing, right? Okay, keep going, keep going. You're in San Francisco. Um, you were going to clean some cakes. I was going to do whatever, you know, within reason, whatever anyone asked me to do so that I could learn about beer and if it was something that I really wanted to pursue. Um, zero people replied to me. So I found my way into this beer e-commerce startup called Hopsy. And at the time, they were just um, partnering with local breweries. You could go online, order a growler when they were still cool, a growler <laughs> of beer, and have it delivered to your door. So I was like, all right, I'll do this. I joined as their head of finance. And it gave me great exposure into the industry as a whole, the regulations, and direct access to a dozen breweries um, to kind of see their inner workings. So that company ended up getting backed by Heineken, um, or what we called Mother H. And <laughs> Mother H was based in White Plains. So the headquarters moved from Berkeley to New York City. Um, that was the spring of 2018. Um, so we raised tens of millions from Heineken, awesome that company is no longer in existence um, but when we moved here we posted a job for head of customer experience and then Tara's application came across my desk um, that's what we call a segue yeah that's that's uh, for future reference that's what we call a segue yeah yeah well, we've done this like one or two times I, I imagine <laughs> yeah not, um, with, not with such a friendly host but yeah, thank you. Once again, I'm doing this so you will applaud for me. Um, I ask all my guests, and you kind of touched on it. Obviously, you weren't drinking until you were 21. But do you feel like Coronado was the like gateway? Those were the gateway beers. Was there a specific one? The first one is there's a Gordon Biersch in Aloha Tower in Honolulu, and I had my first Meritzen. Joy taught me how to pronounce that beer. And that's when I was like, oh, what's this? And then after that, it was everything San Diego. Yeah. yeah. I'm a fan of the San Diego beers, for mm -hmm. sure. I love a West Coast. Mm -hmm. But, oh my god, Hopsy, you are at Hopsy. Rewind it back. You met, you interviewed some mysterious I woman. I banged. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm just so impressed with the live sound effects that you're providing. Well, <laughs> again, we need to put the BFA to use somehow. It is the sound effects. You don't Thank even you. need to edit it after this, you know? No, I'm putting it, I'm clicking it live. Um, so Tara, wh what's your deal? Where'd you come from? How'd you get here? How'd you get uh, to Hopsy, I guess, is the real question. Yeah, um, I grew up in Pennsylvania, but my parents were New Yorkers. Um, they loved wine. They worked in wine when they were younger than I am now and living in New York City. Um, they actually met at the Playboy Club. My mom was um, a bunny and my dad was a bartender. Uh, and my mom was five years older than my dad, 26 versus 21. So, uh, used to powerful women in the family, I guess. You could Hell say. yeah. They're um, also, I will interrupt to fast forward to say that when the first you know, weekend that we opened, <laughs> Tara's parents were, they met, like, they were here. I was like, oh, how nice, like, her family's here. Cut to her dad in an apron, like, scrubbing dishes. Like, these are, these are hospitality people, as, you'll, as you'll tell us. Dirty side, like, yeah, they, no. they know what it's they like. Get, yeah. yeah, they know how to get in the weeds and, like, what that's like. Yeah. Um, so after college, I moved to New York City. First thing I did was sign up for a wine class. Um, took a bunch of wine classes, went to get my MBA at NYU, and um, yeah, um, recruited for consulting because I wanted to have the most challenging, you know, highest paying job after working in nonprofit for a while. But the summer after business school, I spent um, working at Wolfer Estate, the vineyard in the Hamptons. And um, that was, it was great. I was shadowing all the different business functions, sort of what Leanne you know, wanted to do it at a brewery, I just pitched to them, can I please, you know, follow around your marketing person, do tastings, learn what it's like to be at a vineyard. But there was a moment I had at a lunch place uh, out there in the Hamptons when I, I really wanted a beer with my lunch and I just didn't feel like there were any beers on the menu that was like, wow, that's a beer for me. And there are great, there were great beers on tap. Like I think it was Blue Point and Brooklyn and maybe Montauk, but I just didn't feel a connection with any of those companies, and that was the catalyst for me to think, wow, as few women as there are in management or leadership in wine, there are even fewer in beer, and maybe other people feel like me. And obviously being at a place like Wolfer, if you haven't been, it's a, a winery experience. You know, you walk in, it's a beautiful space, you get a flight, uh, the servers are very knowledgeable about the wines, and you're really immersed in the experience, and that, to me really didn't exist in the beer industry in New York City. This was in 2015, so craft beer was really just starting to get traction here. You know, some of the oldest, some of the most famous breweries in the New York City area are only five or six years old. So we're a pretty young beer city. Um, so I worked in consulting and then I worked in marketing at the New York Times for a year and a half and I was ready to make a change. I had been home brewing and I saw the job at Hopsy and I was like, this is, safer, you know, half half interested in what the actual job was and half thinking, hey, I can get into beer in a way that's like kind of hedging my bets versus just trying to brew a batch of beer and sell it, which is ultimately what we did anyway. But um, meeting Leanne there was really a catalyst for us to start this company because we were the only two women in management, you know, even at a beer e-commerce tech-based startup, still mostly men. And uh, we spent all of our lunches, happy hours, you know, we're working eight to eight almost every day. And we realized we had this common vision and common interest that had drawn us to Hopsy. So that was the start. 
And I'm going to go back and ask you, do you, what do you feel like your gateway beer was? The beer oh. that made you not only say, like, what is this? I want to drink it. But what is this? Like, I want to be part of bringing it to people. Yeah. Well, I think with my um, having taken a lot of coursework in wine, uh, basically like a Cicerone equivalent in the wine world, you know, I was more interested in the history and learning about regions. And it wasn't just about you know, getting drunk. Um, but for me, the gateway beer was on a family vacation. I had Sierra Nevada Pale Ale for the first time, and I was like, oh, this tastes like something. Like, I was in a sorority, not a popular one in college. Um, <laughs> She's so, trying to downplay how cool she is. Oh, it wasn't. It wasn't cool. It wasn't that kind of thing. No. Okay. Um, more the bookworm sorority, mm -hmm. if you can imagine. You uh, weren't like Alabama Rush Talk situation. A what? Alabama Rush Talk? Yes, we know. What's I'll that? show you later. Okay. Uh, a wild subset of a wild sliver of the internet. Oh. They're the cool. They're the kids that would have bullied us, I think. Uh, yeah. But go on. Your sorority wasn't cool. <laughs> <laughs> we found our own cool. Whatever. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of Natty Light, a lot of Lion's Head. I went to college in Pennsylvania. You know, it's nine ninety nine for a twenty four pack. So it just gives you paints you the picture. Right. Um, so yeah, Sierra Nevada was like, wow, this tastes like something. And you know, talking to my dad who had been in wine and beer, it's like this is this is hops. It's floral. Right. It's piney. It's like got it's got an opinion. This beer, and that kind of got me interested in it. Great. And then, how did it go from your like meet cute where you're Leanne, you're interviewing Tara, like begging her to come work with you? I was in South Africa interviewing Tara. What? Here in the U.S., so it, I was helping. Popsy flew me out with all that Heineken money. You know, they flew me to South Africa. Uh, Just yeah, kidding. I could see it. I could see it. I, I, I was finishing uh, my last semester of my MBA at Berkeley, so I was on a trip to um, Cape Town and was just so determined. Because here was another woman who was willing to leave a stable career and take a chance on this like company that was still trying to figure our shit out. And I was, I was, and for some reason, I didn't have a lot of girlfriends. I didn't have a lot of girls, period, in the military. Right. Um, I was on an all-male ship, so there were about six women for 330 men. And so, like, it's rare for me to click with a woman, and somehow I did, um, and, like, was just going to do everything I could to get her to join. So... I'm sure she felt the same. Yeah, how did, how did she manage to convince you? Do you do this. You taught me this. Yeah, I did. <laughs> My impact here is great. <laughs> but you were, Tara, you were convinced to come take a chance on this you know, startup. <laughs> I looked at some of the financial models Leanne made, and there's a lot of smoke and mirrors over there. But whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. I, oh, wow. Okay. I was not the CEO. No. I wasn't the, you know, I was painting a picture. Yes. With numbers. She pitched me and it sold me. It worked. I think, you know, all of us have moments in our career where we're like, if we aren't decision makers, we are, I mean, most people I think want to make an impact and at a big company like the New York Times, you're one of thousands of people. Um, and so going to a company that had 20 people total in it that was in beer felt like, wow, I can actually make, make an impact and yeah. make a footprint. So... 
But yeah, Leanne was also a badass, obviously. So I mean, she casually dropped, okay, hair toss, the MBA and the Masters oh. of Signals finance. Intelligence Officer? Yeah, like, come on. Okay. I still don't know what it means. Well, I don't want to know. <laughs> cryptology, which sounds cooler, but I... Cryptology. 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 Right? I, I, I can do a time step. Um, but, so how did it go from, like, kikiing happy hours to, oh, we're going to start a business together. I don't, I don't know the exact, I remember the exact time we sat down and started to talk about names. It was at Three Monkeys in Midtown. Oh God. On, in their yeah. outdoor little mm -hmm. bar in the back. And we decided on Weekender that that was gonna be our name. Right, yes. Uh, which was then trademarked by a wine company in Boston. So we had to, you know, scratch that. But within three months we had formed an LLC, Weekender. Um, and that's the inspiration of our lager, which we have another one coming out soon. Um, but I, it was a, a really interesting evolution because at first our whole goal was like, F it, like, I'm used to tailoring my cursing now because I have a son who's repeating everything. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm sure you can all handle it, but, um, <laughs> but you know, we started by just saying, let's just get a beer that has branding that resonates with us on the shelves at Whole Foods. That'll be a fun little project. Um, that takes a lot of money, turns out, and a lot of time. And so as we were starting to investigate that process and paying, and registering to get a license and trademark whatever name and try to find a contract brewer, uh, all with our own personal funds that... Um, Quickly, uh, we quickly realized that that wasn't a business model that could sustain a livelihood. Mm -hmm. Unless you're going like mass distro across the country and we didn't want to be that. We didn't want to be just a brand to scale across the country really quickly. Um, yeah, I've heard you talk about um, wanting to get into Whole Foods. What, what is the, was that more of just a, oh, that seems like an attainable thing? Or did that have some kind of significance? You know what I mean? I think uh, imagining that the selection at Whole Foods is very curated and it would give us credibility. It felt like if we could make it over that hurdle, we were making a quality beer that had great branding that people were buying, that Whole Foods thought people would buy more than once in their life. Because the first sale is one thing, but to get people to come back and buy it again, like. Whole Foods isn't a flash sale. They they want to fill their shelves with products that uh, add something uh, something to their customers' lives. And also, Whole Foods customers are majority women shopping during the day, and we felt like that's not really your regular beer customer. So if we can crack that code and give them something that they think that customer will buy, we might be onto something. Right. And what did you feel like? I you've of course spoken to this before, but. What about the way that beer historically has been and continues to be marketed? What, what did you identify that is alienating about that? Is it the packaging? Is it the actual flavor itself? But all of the above? I think all of the above. So yeah. there's definitely brands that are doing a great job um, speaking to a broader audience, being more gender neutral. But when you go to the store and there's still raging bitch on the shelves and arrogant bastard as much as I love stone and I love that beer like who is that resonating with among our peer group um, nobody and 
for me, an aha moment was when my family would visit me or my mom or sister-in-laws would visit me in California. They want to go to the wineries because they're beautiful and it's nice and it's photogenic and Instagrammable and you taste a flight of delicious wines. No one wanted to come to the breweries with me. Mm-hmm. And, a part, and it's also very intimidating. So if you look at Hetty Topper or um, Focal Banger, both incredibly popular beers. You don't know what the hell is inside of that can, (laughs) except like this crazy cartoon artwork on the front. Again, phenomenal beers, but if you don't know, then you're not cool enough. You're never, like, it's an intimidating culture. And so I think we really wanted to break down those barriers and make a space where you didn't have to know what galaxy was um, to enjoy a beer. Right, and a space, I mean, look around you, that we're in it. A space where not only do you not have to know where Galaxy is, but you don't feel embarrassed to ask. Yeah, and yeah. you feel, sit, as you said, safe and comfortable to interact with whoever's serving you to learn something, as opposed to I totally identify going to like a dark tap room with a sticky floor. No, it has its place, Yeah, right? But do you feel, as maybe a non-beer drinker, safe there? Both yeah. like physical safety and also able to say, okay, but what actually is an IPA? I think a lot of um, journalists are keen to find controversy within the local craft beer community, which I'm really appreciative that we have members of the local craft community here. You know, they want to drum up like an us versus them mentality. And in our minds, if we have customers come here and the first round of drinks they order is rosé or rosé cider, and then they have a curiosity about beer and they feel comfortable here. In our opinion, we just won someone over to craft beer and our goal is not to steal share from other, or get people to come here versus other breweries. It's to get more people drinking beer, period, versus hard seltzer or wine or right. cider. I mean, I drink those, well, I don't drink hard seltzer, but I drink those other things. Right. But, <laughs> you know, it's not um, like... It's not like we don't feel comfortable in those places. It's just that there are lots of people who don't know what a hop is. And we've had them on tours. And it's like, oh, yeah, okay, they're still, you know, we're so deep in that sometimes you kind of have to look outside mm-hmm. and say, like, there still isn't local craft beer on a lot of restaurants' menus, which is so sad. So we think if we could, you know, get our beer on there and then they start buying another brewery, local brewery's beer, that's better for everyone. Right, a rising tide. No, there's no local seltzer tap room to go to, you know? So. Yeah, hopefully not. But, yeah, I mean, to your point about being so deep in, I, you know, we have our gorgeous flights. I don't know if you had one yet, but they, you know, they're beautiful, they're ombre, they have the ability to taste so many things. And I was describing one of the sours and I kept using the word fruited, fruited. And at the end, a guest was like, what was that? What does that mean? Why did you keep saying that? And I, it was a light bulb. Yeah. Oh, I'm so, and I had to stop and think like, how do I define this word that I obviously know the answer to? Anyway, yeah, when you're so deep in it, you don't realize what, you take for granted what you know. But I don't want to take for granted the rest of the story. So, you know, you make it your goal to have, get one beer on the shelf at Whole Foods. Yeah. So we found a contract brewer. We contract brewed with Torch and Crown up in the Bronx for our first two years. Um, so that was a great partnership. Our first beer ever was Sun Up, and that's still on tap today. Um, we 
they were the first account we sold into. Um, we drove out the day after we packaged our first beer, drove to their office in New Jersey. The Whole Foods office. Um, the regional space and like <laughs> they didn't know we were coming. No, I'm just kidding. Just the two of you in the van, all black and like <laughs> broke into uh, their mini fridges. Yeah, yeah. Shove some samples. What is in this there. doing in here? But I mean, we were like, you know, well, maybe okay. That's another story. But we were so we don't know what we were doing. We were salespeople and delivery people for the first two years as well, which is shit. <laughs> like delivering beer is. I applaud anyone who's doing that is the hardest job, um, any delivery person. But first, we just wanted to get into Whole Foods. So we went and we had printed our pitch deck at the time. So we walked them through every single slide. We went through every slide. With the paper. With the paper. (laughs) It's like 22 pages. And we're like, okay, here's here's where our values align with your... We did the research and 62% of their shoppers are women during the day. Like, we're going to speak to your customer because what blew my mind moving here is that in New York, you can't sell both wine and beer in grocery stores. In California, you can. But so there's already, we're already a step ahead trying to speak to a non-male audience in Whole Foods because all they have to offer is beer and malt beverages. So like, we can win that. Um, but like from the start, he was like, yeah, yeah, I get it. And we were like, no, no, no. <laughs> Like next I slide. Have, next I have slide. twenty more slides to go. Thank you so much. Thanks for your patience. Yeah. Um, so that first packaging run, we like messed up the can order, and so we only had like three cases, and then forty half barrels to sell around the city. And we like took one of our few precious cans and gave it to them. But I mean, they I were, think yeah. we packaged like mock-ups with the oh, early yeah. runs off the canning line. Um, with oh. our, our wow. second beer that we were going to make because we were doing shrink wrap cans, which have, like, a six-week lead time. So we brought, like, both of them. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, can I try this one? And I was like, no. oh, no, 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 that's just to look at. Just to look <laughs> it at. Was it was just hot sludge. <laughs> so oh. yeah. This is a prop can. Yeah. yeah exactly. Uh, don't touch it. Look. Yeah. Don't but, touch. Uh, just look. No, <laughs> actually, back up if you could. Well, but you did it. You got your you got sun up in Whole Foods. And at yeah. that point, you had quit. You were done at hot. How? What was the time between this happening and quitting your jobs with salaries? Yeah, we basically, you know, while we were getting ready to brew this first beer, we basically realized like there's no way selling contract brewed beer is going to make us enough money to quit our jobs. So we need to fundraise to build a brewery because tap rooms are the fastest growing part of our industry, and you know, a half barrel sold to a beer bar versus sold here when we're the bar, essentially, like a brewery and a tap room is a vertically integrated bar where you're making everything, so you're making all the margins. Like, that's the best thing to do. So we sort of queued everything up. So we gave notice in February, quit our jobs in April, which is when we had our first beer package and when we opened our fundraising round to build um, the space you're in now. So. It was like one day we were working a desk job out of a WeWork near Carnegie Hall, and the next day we were getting on the subway to go to Long Island City, not the nice part of Long Island City, to fill up growlers of beer because we undercanned so that we could carry growlers around and make sales for people who didn't even know who we were because we were incognito mode for nine months because we had our, our jobs. And also, like, we're not from the beer industry. So no one's like, oh, she worked at blah, blah, blah before she started this company. Right, and that's something that I wanted to ask you about because even though, like, obviously you're so 
extremely qualified to own a business because you both come from the business world, it almost feels like a backdoor entry, right? Because it is like the New York City beer community can be insular a little bit. It's tight knit, but like to your point, it's you're not you don't have that network of like, oh, she used to work at Craft and Carry and like now she's here. Did you ever feel did that feel like a hurdle that you had to jump over? Sure, until everyone tasted the beer and bought it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, it's definitely an atypical entry into the industry. A lot of people work their way up in in back of house in the production area, and there's like that is an incredibly honorable thing to do. But we were 33 when we met, and we're just like let's let's bypass that part. We know how to homebrew. We can be professional brewers. Just kidding. <laughs> we knew that that was not the case, but we did know that we knew enough about a startup and how to create a business and we had a strong vision for what our branding would be that let's create a space and create jobs and give people in the brewing industry a, a great place to work and consumers a great place to come and spend their time and drink beer. So it still is a hurdle today. We get a lot of um, backhanded comments about how well we're not the actual brewers and yeah, that's okay. Like we know the process we know 90, 90%, 95% of what our brewers, Ariel and Eric, are doing, but we're happy that we've been able to create a space for them to brew and hopefully more people to brew in the future. Yeah. I mean, I'm grateful that the space is, has been created. I do want to talk a little bit about the fundraising process just because I have, you know, you've been interviewed about this countless times, but the stories of you all pitching to these rooms of men, like, will you tell us here today some of those stories? Because they just make me laugh and cringe. Which one should we start with? <laughs> where to begin? There was one event where, unfortunately, Tara wasn't there. But we pitched, and we had, we had a good deck. We had all the data. Women are the fastest growing segment among craft beer consumers today, growing twice as fast as men. 72% um, of women drinking craft beer are frustrated by brands that treat them as an afterthought today um, so like let us capture those people um, and then at the end of like you know a 20 minute pitch and them sampling our beers they like the group of them probably 60 to 70 year old men um, just turned to each other and discussed why women don't drink beer and so I stood there and listened to them like debate back and forth and they all concluded that it's because it makes women gassy um, or, you know, they feel bloated after they drink it. And it's too I, many calories. Or too many yeah, calories. Yeah. And, like, it's, it's as if I had not been up there saying, I drink beer and so do all these other women, and we're already in Whole Foods. Like, right. our concept is being proven, um, but now it, it just fell on deaf ears. And when that happens, it's, it's fine. Like, we got enough money plus an enormous loan <laughs> to get this place up and running. Uh, but you don't want those people as partners anyways, so. Right. Yeah, they clearly don't, aren't willing to listen and buy into your story and the story of the brand, so yeah. thank you, next, as a philosopher once said. <laughs> um, yeah, I love, I read somewhere that people wanted you to be like, Skinny this, girl. Yes, here. much yeah. as I love Bethany Frankel. Mm -hmm. Her products don't taste good, so... Well, it's trademarked, too, you know, so... You, know. you can't be a cheater brand. Chick beer. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, chick beer. Yeah, no, chick you beer. are your own thing. But speaking of branding, also, can we talk about 
when did John, when did I want design come into the picture? Because these cans, like, right? The, the packaging on the cans, the branding is gorgeous. Yeah, um, so he, uh, John Gilsonen, our designer, whose firm is called I Want Design, and I think his firm is a very lean team because we work with him directly, but, or maybe we're just his favorite. I don't know if no. he has a, other employees. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Milk and Well, then, you know, we got to keep paying him, I guess. He's always <laughs> talking about we and the team. It's just, just him at yeah. the computer. But he did all of, he does actively all of Wolfer Estates, Rosé Cider, all of the wines. And so I knew about him. And so when Leanne and I, you know, we didn't even have a name. We're like, hey, you don't know me, but I know you. Would you want to design for our beer brand? And he's an a older British guy. He has two kids and, like, loves beer. Had never worked on a beer project. So he was willing to take a chance on us. Um, you know, I wa almost want to say he probably regrets how little he charged us, but I think we've actually, <laughs> we're packaging one or two new beers every week, so we've become really good clients, I hope, for him. But it was so funny at the beginning because he's a huge music nerd, so the first three labels he mocked up had, like, I'm a music nerd, too, um, but, like, a My Bloody Valentine-named beer, a beer with a label from the band Animal Collective, like, very esoteric you know, indie band names. And then we're like, well, we want to call one lunch date. And he was like, that's very not good. That's very not a good idea. <laughs> like, and we're like, please, re you know, we, we think this would be good. And he's like, really not a good idea. He's like, it reminds me of a grandmother's lunch date out. But he's like, British, so you know. Well, right, different yeah. frame different. of reference. Still, yeah. though, bold. Uh, yeah. Bold. Shocking. A man is telling you what to name your beer. How weird. No. Thanks, John. I've, you're very talented. <laughs> oh boy but it is so crucial like we you know it started as the visual identity of the beer on the shelf and wanting to pop off the shelves with colorful gender neutral cans and now one thing we always talk about is the visual identity of our beers that you know when they're on draft because if you're here or if you're at a craft beer bar and you're looking at a tap list you're ordering based on you know, the name of the beer, the style, the ABV, and the descriptors, if there even are any. So when we brew now, we always think about, like, what's the color going to be like? What's the level of haziness? Or if you're a beer nerd, turbidity, which, you know, no one needs to know that. But basically, <laughs> like, what's the color? What's the visual texture? Because if you want to have it on a flight, like, we drink and eat with our eyes. We want to see something that's appealing and something that we can take a photo of and remember the experience. So I think he really, he's been a great partner um, to us and now he's actually like a partner in the business and that has, finding the right people if you are an entrepreneur and whether it's in the beer space or otherwise, like aligning with the right people who can, yeah, he challenged us, but now we just give it back to him and that's good. That's like, Right. Builds your confidence yeah. in the brand because we brewed lunch date when we opened and it's a great beer and the name's great too, by the way. <laughs> and it's cute. Yeah. The what's, why did you call it lunch date? Um, do you know this answer? I do. Uh, so when we were in stealth mode at Hopsy and hadn't announced that we were working on this, we had these pink notebooks um, that served as a signal to each other of when it was time to go and take a call or go and call the SLA or whatever we needed to do. So we were always sneaking away 
um, and trying to build this business on the <laughs> a floor lower in the WeWork than the rest <laughs> of the company. Um, and Tara managed like, I don't know, 20 people, and so they were totally on to us, but our CEO wasn't. Um, and, but we would always go for lunch, and so we'd always go on the lunch date, and we were like, let's make a, a refreshing like five-ish percent hazy pale ale that you could have at lunch and still go back and be fine. Um, but that was the inspiration is our, our little escapes during the day to try to build this business. I love that. I feel like a lot of our beers have like maybe not so hidden meanings, right? Like, hello. Basically pumpkin. Basically pumpkin, which we could talk about my feelings on the label basic, you know, the moniker, but I don't need to get on that soapbox right now. Um, I feel like there's so many ways I want to go and so many questions I want to ask you, but I guess timeline-wise, you know, how long were you doing your own delivery driving and, like, sitting in the back of a van packaging, like, assembling cardboard? From May 2019, uh, then we stopped during the pandemic from March through September last year, um, and then picked it back up in September 2020 through opening here in March. So, like, two years with the pandemic August. Well, well, yeah. I mean, we... Yeah. Yeah. That you were still doing it. Us doing it. These two people in the back. Until we opened here. I didn't know it was that recent. Yeah. Still (laughs) burns in my memory. (laughs) Such as? Oh, parking tickets? Just, like, doing deliveries. Parking tickets, getting yelled, getting, like, hollered at when we're just, like, Oh, yeah, cat calls when you're delivering beer and sweatpants. It's just bad. Um, Carrying cases down the street that breaks below you, cans go everywhere, people feel bad for you. Uh, you're just sad that the cans are dented and you probably won't make as much money. Um, and also, like, like, collecting payment. Oh, God, yeah. You know, for oh, yeah. Asking startup. people for checks. Um, but mostly just full day in the van and so much traffic, and uh, that van is looking rough, too. Yeah, she's uh, <laughs> she's seen better days. She's She's got a lot of tags. Lo- yeah, a lot of... Actually, I think the lights are on lot of, in oh, the van. Okay, all right. <laughs> We're going to have to figure that out. That's someone else's van. I think someone's in there. We <laughs> We're not going to ask them about what's going on in their van. We have but. a lot of BQE residents that love to tag our van up. Yeah. Um, so. But speaking of the BQE and this location we're in, when, when you signed the lease on this space, November of 2019? 2019. Good timing, right? Yeah, Seems we all great. know, we all know about the calendar. Great. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And so, you know, what was that? I guess, like, incl- you know, what was that process like? Being on board to finally start your your business, your tap room, and then getting hit with a global pandemic. Do we are we familiar with that? <laughs> yeah, everybody know. Yeah. Well, at the time we. So we thought building um, the brewery would take about two and a half million dollars, which is a lot of money. And at that point, I think we had raised about 1.5 million. So we were like, we still need to keep fundraising. We found this great space. First, we passed on it because the ceilings are low. And in New York City, when every square foot matters, you want to have the vertical space for bigger tanks to grow. Um, And if you don't know this, of house literally on the other side of that wall is about six thousand square feet of production space 20 barrel brew house six 40 barrel fermenters and two 40 barrel brights so we have really expensive 
production space on a square footage basis, but um, the pandemic happened. Leanne was pregnant at the time. We hadn't started build out in March 2020. And at that point, we kind of went back to the drawing board in a way with some of the budgeting. Because we're like, we don't know what the conditions are going to be when we open. We need to come up with another $200,000. Also, the budget just for construction at that point had gone up to $2 million. Brewing equipment was about 600000 Anyway, you can see how this is becoming a three and a half to $4 million project at the, you know, once we started actually getting into the nitty gritty, um, this space was sort of gutted and we had to further gut it. Uh, so that was a lot of work and we didn't have a loan to cover the remaining funds. So yeah, it was a scary time. We didn't even sign our loan until the summer of 2020, right before we started construction. So wow. there was a time period where we were like, we need to figure out how to pay for this. But at that point, so many things were in motion and our, even though the pandemic happened, our beer had a lot of traction and we had a lot of investors who believed in us and um, Leanne gave birth to her son and then I got pregnant and we started the build out and it was, yeah, Leanne was there for all the scary stuff that happened here in the and Tara was in the hospital. Well, that, was, that actually leads perfectly into a question that I wanted to ask you because, well, first of all, you know, I talk a lot about on this podcast the phrase, you got to see it to be it. Um, and for someone who does want a family, like it's incredibly inspirational feels like not even the right word. Helpful, like practically to see that it is, that people do it. Like you don't see a lot of, moms in this in, in this in this industry and like so thank you for that but what was that this feels personal to ask and you can tell me to buzz off but like what was that decision making process like you were like okay I'm ready to have a baby oh and also build my my business so I is anyone on Peloton um yes follow, yeah give it up for Peloton anyone follow Allie Love yeah so I loved her. I still do. I don't know her, but uh, I do on Instagram. Um, she hosted this thing. Uh, maybe this is too personal. I'm just, I'll go there. Go but for it. there was a get-together with her group on freezing eggs. Because I was like, I want to build a brewery. My, my eggs are going soon. Like, I need to figure this out. Um, so I'll, I'll freeze embryos or whatever. So I went, and it was at a little clinic or whatever, so um, they, they can run a test to see, like, how many, e like, viable eggs you have, like, how your ovulation health is or whatever. And they came back, and they were like, you, if you want kids, you need to have them now. Like, you have the amount of eggs as a 46-year-old woman. So I was like, well, <laughs> it wasn't what I was expecting right, to hear. Right. Called my mom, cried, didn't know what to do. Don't want to have a kid yet, but like, I guess there's never a good time to have it. So I was like, all right, like we'll figure it out. And this is a, and I remember we were still at Hopsy, and Tara came and asked how the appointment was, and I started crying, and she was there for me, and um, that's that was the impetus for us to start trying. And then we had Henry in uh, April. Thank you for sharing that. I really, yeah. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah. It's, it's, it was a little, I know I stumbled through that whole timeline because it's, 
it's basically fast forwarding two and a half years to now from right. when we quit our jobs to this moment in time. So, you know, April 2019 till September 2021. Yeah. Um, it's a lot. A lot has happened. Yeah. And like in two and a half years. Also, and I'm on my second, my back beer, so, you know, um, but the backup. I think it's, it's very interesting because like in a way we were also incubating as a contract brewery that was self distributed. We were doing our own sales, our own deliveries. And some of you may have heard of us, but I think most people know us for this space, which has only been open six months. And like we had, you know, we just both turned 35. We had like years of being industry adjacent or kind of in stealth mode where our focus was fundraising and getting this space built. And if you've ever built a space or if you can imagine in New York City, like the amount of permitting, the amount of, you know, all these costs, like HVAC, heating, ventilation, air conditioning, that's that acronym. Like that's- Never knew that, learning today. That's a quarter of a million dollars. You know what right, I mean? Like right. no one thinks, you know, this tile that's oh super God, sexy, that costs like five bucks. So- you know, and Leanne negotiated these sound, sound panels, panels from down Amsterdam, to like three thousand dollars, but enormous. Yeah, like, uh, <laughs> like you know, Leanne overseeing the beginning of the build out when we were driving, you know, 60, 30 foot pilings into the soil in the back because the soil quality is very pebbly, so it's not stable enough to support the weight of a fermentation vessel that weighs thousands of pounds. So, yeah, but on when piling 58 out of 60 hits a water main because this building was built in 1928 and there are no building plans and there's a geyser in the middle of the brewery and I'm in the hospital, Leanne's sending me photos, you know, <laughs> what do you do about that? Well, I don't know. You get a big pump and you figure it out, but like, you pay a no plumber. one knows about that. $11,000 yeah. to fix that main. <laughs> You're all seeing my and face. And a lot of right pissed now. off neighbors upstairs. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah. Having to like turn off all the water, all the electricity, and this is all offices and like artist studios above us. Um, right. But yeah, there's all these yeah, we have all these ongoing struggles as a woman owned business owned by moms that opened during COVID. But you know, just to get to this point for any business in New York City is like I feel like I lived a lifetime just yeah. before You've been opening. Right. And then this last six months has been like a whole other thing. Well, yeah. And talk to me about the process. You know, obviously when it is your, you have your babies, but then you have your, your baby, Talea, which you're very, it's very easy for you two to be clear on the values and the mission. What's it like bringing other people in that, you know, we have... Our uh, director of operations, Joy Reichenbach here. We've met, we've shouted her out, but she's amazing. But or like Eric and Ariel and a whole beer crew. Like how? What was that process like to take this thing that you've built and entrust it with, you know, other humans? It's scary. Yeah. It's like we spent two and a half years doing everything ourselves. You know, we did the deliveries. We like know every investor by their name. We know the bar owners we text with them when we were selling beer and we call our contractor and our architect we have very intimate relationships and now you're entrusting people who didn't know you when a couple weeks ago to basically be the brand ambassador for your company and to convey you know the last however long we've been talking and all the stuff that we've done and all the aspirations we have in a single 
across the bar transaction for a $9 glass of beer. It's a really tall order for our, our team. And I think the most important thing for us is that, yeah, we have these huge lofty goals of expanding the craft beer market to include women and non-craft beer drinkers and people who think beer isn't for them and people who don't know what the hell dry hopping is. Like, yeah, but we also have this goal of expanding what craft beer looks like, not just with the customers, but with our team. So whether that means your sexual orientation or your race or, you know, whether or not you've ever been to a brewery before but you want to work in beer, we want to grow um, the types of people who feel comfortable working in our industry and build a safe space for them to work and finding, we have an amazing team now, but it, it was hard to find them and it's hard to maintain that through all the ups and downs of not only a startup, but a startup during COVID. Like COVID has felt like a moving target. And on top of the fact that now a lot of restrictions have loosened, but we can't go back to business as usual because we only opened six months ago. There is no business as usual. So it's, it's really hard, but I think that's, um, like that's what we feel will make a difference in the industry is helping more people, people feel comfortable to enter beer as professionals, whether they're our brewers or our beer crew or in the office with us. That's the sound bite right there. I mean, do you, do, you have some, do you have something to add? No. No, I, no. I'm, I don't. You don't know. Okay. I'm grateful. Here we go. I'm grateful to work here for that reason because, unfortunately, as we've learned specifically in the past, what, like six months in beer, yeah, it seems really fun to own a brewery, to work in a brewery, but there are problems. And to feel safe where you work is the most important thing, but it's also incredibly difficult. So how do you feel like you can continue to keep, I mean, I, I feel safe here, but like how, how do you feel like you can continue to work towards keeping your staff safe, especially as we continue to grow? I mean, we're constantly trying to improve operations here and make it a safer, better place for our employees. We're nowhere near perfect. I think we have a lot more figured out than some of the older breweries that have been around and are more steeped in these problems, mostly because they have leadership that doesn't look like us. Um, but I, there's still a long, um, a, a long list of improvements that, that need to be made. I think open communication with your employees is key, and we're trying to keep that going um, or in, and continue to improve it. I think for us, you know, someone asked us, like, why haven't you said anything about Rat Magnet on Instagram? And we both took that as, like, look, we're putting our money where our mouth is. Like, we're creating a space. We're the ones that have been harassed, along with the other members who work for us. So, like, don't come at me to get on Instagram about something that we're actually like trying right. to improve. But do we have a platform? Is it our responsibility to try to spread this word and make, make a bigger deal out of it? And um, it's something we always struggle with. Do how, how vocal do we need to be about issues that seem so obvious to us? Um, or just continue to do what we do with our in our four walls with our staff and with our guests, right. and just make that like actions speak louder than words. 
actions speak louder than Instagram stories. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? And you know, we could talk for a long time about that because I agree. And we've seen a lot of places. It's so easy to put up a slide on Instagram, but yeah, what are you actually doing? Right. It's hard. Did you, it's hard to own a brewery? Did you? Did you know? Turns out. Well, it turns out. So, you know, you've touched a little bit on the future of Talea, but what, what are you most excited about? Beer-wise, expansion-wise, what can you tell us here? Um, we are, I think we're really excited about growing our team and giving our existing team more opportunities, and that comes in a lot of forms. Uh, for us, we are, you know, preparing for a new phase of growth that we think will, you know, the goal is to, again, grow the craft beer market. And we did sign a lease on a second location for a second tap room, which is really exciting. It is in Cobble Hill. So it'll be this, a version of the front of house concept will still be brewing all the beer here. And we're really excited about that. Um, and I think what's most exciting about that is that it, you know, it gives us a horizon to continue to make our existing space and our existing team better, create a blueprint to, um, to lift and, and open there. And we do want to open more spaces. I'll segue to Leanne. Mm. World domination. Absolutely. <laughs> it's usually how I pitch it. Um, no, I think ideal long run, like there are still remarkably few breweries uh, in the U.S. who are catering to a, a broad audience or are creating a gender neutral brand. So, I mean, we'll go and do it across the country um, for those other states yeah. and other cities. Yeah, snaps for that, I'm ready. Um, so that's always fun to think about. That's way, way in the future. Uh, we hope to, in, the, in New York, a farm brewer, you can have up to five satellite spaces. So we hope to have five in the next five years or so, maybe sooner. Um, but we wanna spread the Talea up mm -hmm. and build, put more tanks in the back to keep brewing more yeah. fun beers and yeah, see where it takes us. Keep challenging ourselves to think about how we can be more part of people's lives. Like whether that means new products or new activities. You know, we do tap room yoga every Saturday at 10 a.m. And uh, your your yoga ticket includes a beer mosa or a beverage, $5 towards a beverage of your choice. and. That's a great way to get people in the door who just want to take yoga in a beautiful space. But how can we continue to change people's perceptions of how a craft brewery fits into their lives? Manicurist will be here soon. Oh my God. I'm not red. joking. I'm pet portraits. We're doing a pet portrait event for Yappy Hour. Oh, oh, I have a cat. So I'll bring a photo of her. No, they do it off iPhone photos. Yep. Thank God. <laughs> well, I have. A lot more questions, but I wanted to open it up if anyone has any questions. Anybody out there brave enough to ask a question? I could keep talking, though. I love to talk. Okay, Anne-Marie, you are mic'd, but I'm going to repeat your question, so you can just say it. What's one thing that you're doing now before you jump into the brewery? What's, Anne-Marie, 
Amick, very talented photographer, um, asked, what's one thing that you wish you had known before jumping into this whole endeavor? Adventure were her words. I don't want to misquote. Double your budget. <laughs> <laughs> and cut in, time, cut in half the amount of time you have to yourself in your mind. And I think yeah. like an overarching principle that we still say like every other day is don't let perfection be the enemy of progress because uh, we're both kind of that way and it can hold things up if you're, you know, focused on every single detail, but you just got to keep things moving. Right. Yeah. It is very all consuming though. Like even if we leave at 5.30, you know, we are... This is our life now. It's literally our financial future, too. I mean, we personally signed the loan that's $2 million to build this space. So, you know, my kids are going to have to live in the van with Leanne's kids. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but it's While I would watch that reality show, it doesn't feel like what you want. I don't, I don't if speak to it goes needs. viral and we can get some sponsors. Yeah, totally. <laughs> We're iterating. We're talking about the future, but yeah. Yeah. Double, double your budget. Don't let perfect be the enemy of the good, which is I need to like get tattooed on my forehead. <laughs> Anyone else have a question? Breeze. Ship. Yeah, I was on destroyers. Uh, and so I feel like that very much uh, relates to being in the craft beer industry where we are a, a limited amount of women trying to also just survive in this industry amongst other men, let alone like white male women. So being in both the Navy and that kind of setting, but also shifting over in the craft beer industry, what is your advice in being able to I'm gonna re I'm gonna paraphrase that amazing question into this microphone so that the people listening at home can hear this. But basically, Breeze, an incredible advocate for women in our industry in her own right, um, yes. asking Leanne basically to compare her experience of being in an incredibly male-dominated industry in the Navy and how it translates and how how it's analogous to her experience now. She said it better than I did, but you know, if you're listening at home, sorry, you weren't here. <laughs> um, yeah so it, it, looking back on it I was so young and when you're when you start in the military as a junior officer you're immediately put in charge of sailors um, who report to you and have to do whatever you say and um, I wish it were more like that here sometimes <laughs> um, but I was very much of the mindset, and maybe it was because it was the same way at the Naval Academy. Um, because, for example, at the Naval Academy, for physical fitness tests, there's two standards. They call it two standards, a female standard and a male standard, and it's just based on the physical differences in our body. But the female standards are easier than male, and so from the get-go, you're already set apart as like having an easier ride and being weaker than men. Um, so my whole goal was to always exceed the male standards and to essentially be one of the guys. Um, so never wearing makeup on a ship, never wearing perfume, never doing anything 
that would like hint at any sort of femininity and really like hiding who I was and trying to be a tough guy. Um, and I realized pretty quickly that that's not an effective way to lead and not an effective way to get respect from your subordinates or your peers. Um, so luckily, like after I, you know, started to know my stuff and felt more comfortable and like the knowledge and the experience I brought to the table, I felt like I could be more of myself and not be such a bitch all the time. Um, <laughs> is what they would say, right? right. If it was a guy, it's like, you know, he's tough ass or whatever. Um, and like by, I, on, I only served for five years and by the end I, I felt like myself more. And um, I think it's just a matter of being comfortable in your own skin and not trying to hide who you are. And hopefully you meet good people who recognize that and can respect you along the way as well instead of just expecting you to fit a certain mold or putting you in a bucket that's like a lower standard. Um, but it's, it's, it's been a lot easier being the owners of this, I think. I'm sure, I'm sure there's a lot of things said, but like I don't fucking care. Um, what most people say because we have a business and we have 30 employees and they are a number one priority now and um, we, we want to make our own way. We don't like to compare ourselves to other breweries in the area. We're just, we just want to do our own thing and um, keep moving forward. But I don't know if that answers your question. I, like, in the end of the day, prove you know your shit, which Breeze, everyone knows you do. Like, you shouldn't have to. I'm sure... Um, but but also, like, what does that mean for the junior people entering the industry? And that's something that happened to me in the Navy where I was um, harassed by a senior officer. I went to an admiral's mast, and I was like, it's fine. I didn't care. Like, I could brush it off. And he was like, well, what, what happens when the officer makes those same approaches to the junior females below you? And so also making way for the people coming up um, below you and giving them a safe place and a friendship that they probably won't get right off the bat from other men. Thank you. Thank you for asking that question. And thank you for sharing that experience. And for, you know, the past, like, hour of your life. Um, I am going to wrap up because you all have places to be. And I, because I could actually ask you a million more questions because I respect and admire you a lot. And I'm really grateful. Um, for the opportunity to be here today. But before we wrap up with our little quick fire challenge, I have two oh. housekeeping. Wait, wait, wait. I want to say something before what a, this quick fire challenge. Okay. So I remember the first beer fest we ever poured at was oh my God. one of the New York City <laughs> ones. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, and we were so excited because we had like one beer. We did just have one beer. Did we? Yeah. That's embarrassing. <laughs> and, you know, probably like pouring from growlers or something. But <laughs> this girl came up to me and was like, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in beer. I want to do this podcast. It's going to be called Brews with Broads. You gave me a card. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Like, I was so flattered that you wanted to talk to me. I think I was the only one at the booth at the time. I was like, what's your name? And you're like, Hannah. And I'm like, Hannah. You're like, no, Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot. And then it kind of stuck. And then... Uh, we ran into each other a few other times. One time I was delivering beer to St. Cambrina's. I just spent, I got these like um, uh, willow pumps it, whenever you guys need a breast pump. Um, so when I was driving and doing deliveries, I would be pumping at the same time and like hoping I didn't hit a bump oh my God. too much because then like, shit, 
just leaks. And, and that's valuable. And I found a spot in front of St. Gambrinus, which never happens, but I still had my pumps in. And I looked in and I saw, you know, I was like, shh. And so, but you wouldn't care, but Ray was there too. And so I was just like <laughs> trying to take this out of my, my bra. And then, you know, milk spilled. And so I was so disheveled when I came in to deliver your beer and felt so bad after leaving because I was just like, hi, bye. But you have always been such a ray of sunshine. You are the only employee who sashays into the door. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which I love. Um, but it is, the service industry we've learned is so hard and people are so underappreciated and somehow you are just the most positive vibe, the most incredibly wonderful human being and we are so grateful to have you on our oh team and like, yeah. we love having you here. Can I, can I give you a hug? Yeah, give me a hug. That's not why I wanted to do this here, but like fringe benefit, perhaps. I don't know. I don't have any self-esteem. What? Um, uh, before we, wow. Thank you for saying that. Wow. I'm gonna go write that in my diary tonight. Um, before we launch into book, first of all, speaking of festivals, um, we have a lot going on in the NYC women in beer and beer community at large this week. Tomorrow there's a Pink Boots meeting. Thursday there is an event at Other Half. The Other Half. It's at Other Half. Other Half Domino, Other Half Women's Forum, hosted by someone who asked a really brilliant question earlier. Um, and then there's Blocktoberfest, which is the Brewers Guild's festival. It is happening, and we are in need of, speaking of keeping people safe, safety advocates. Because as we know, festival safety needs to be a priority for everyone. So if you are interested in be volunteering as a safety advocate, get at me. Get at Ann Riley, because we need to keep each other safe. And finally, um, there was an Instagram giveaway that we did. And there's a winner. You win two glasses and a four-pack of your choice. So can I get a drum roll, please, while I get the bag? Okay, the winner is, um, I'm going to say your handle first because I think it's funny, at uh, Kikampops, Elizabeth Smith. Yay! Okay, I'm going to bring you these glasses. I'm going to bring you these glasses because there's a lot of people. Um, and then we'll pick a four-pack together. Anyway, totally broke up the flow. Sharon Leanne, are you ready to answer the questions? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, low stakes. Most overrated beer style? Oh, I can't say that right now. Uh-oh. Uh we're about to brew it. I'm just kidding, but not. Um, I know. Pastry. Hazy. Pastry, oh. <laughs> pastry stout? stout. Okay. Yeah. And triple IPA. <laughs> Oh, God, a triple IPA. Well, there's nothing overrated, right? Every beer no, is great. No, and this is a safe state. We're <laughs> truly no judgment, but like... But I'm just, I'm tired of hazy IPAs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no. We're all entitled to our opinions, and I, I agree, and still am able to appreciate them. Important to me. Cake or pie? Well, which type? I don't know, girl. Frosting. That, <laughs> that <laughs> is the answer. Uh, I, I think yellow cake chocolate this. icing. What you chocolate yellow cake with chocolate icing and just frosting in general. Can I say I Magnolia banana pudding? Yes. Okay. My podcast, my rules. Um, <laughs> what's the most underrated beer style? Mm. Mm. 
Martin. Kolsch. Oh, oh Kolsch. How do we feel in this room about a coffee Kolsch? Oh. All right. Uh, there's some pencil like faces. A, a we've, got a, we've got a hand up. Do you have a comment or a, this is just a thumbs up? You're just approving? You're about it. Yeah. 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 Oh, for our work from Talia Breakfast crowd. beer. Okay. I'm here for like a light, lighter beer. Like a coffee cream it. Like with not, well, that's all right. All right. We can do, yeah, co coffee and cream. Yeah. Cause, yeah. This cause is like, actually a production meeting. Yes. Thank so you sorry. For Get the whiteboard out. <laughs> Get the whiteboard out. <laughs> Underrated beer. Kolsch. I like that. And also, like, I think non beer drinkers don't really. Know what they that don't is. know it, but they already like it. Exactly, you know? yeah, yeah, it's yeah, easy, yeah, yeah. easy to love. That's our mm -hmm. tagline. Yes, that's why I did the thing. <laughs> you can't see, but you know what I mean. Um, beer related, not beer related. What do your friends come to you for? Um, to change the diaper. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have many friends. They, they're it's my son. They're two years old, and their <laughs> name is Henry. Cool, cool, cool. He's I want to I he, I consider him my friend. I don't know. I was waving him. Do I have friends? I don't really have friends. <laughs> You're my friend. Earrings? Yes, we have know. a statement <laughs> earring. <laughs> I just made that up, but I don't know. Business is your life. Yeah. See, the thing yeah, about I was thinking about that today. Like, being a, an entrepreneur is very isolating, and the pandemic is further isolating it. It's very lonely, hmm. so that's not a good note to end the podcast on. I hope you it's have some not, more questions. Nobody's okay. not, but <laughs> it got at a question that like we don't have time to answer. But the idea that a decide be starting as friends, deciding that you're rather than well, I'm going to be the CEO and you're going to be the mm. I don't know, I don't mm. even know what you call it. Mm -hmm. Whoever's below the CEO, like CEO, mm. yeah, deciding you're going to yeah. be co-founders and then also maintaining a friendship. And mm -hmm. co-CEOs. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Because SoulCycle did it, so we can do it. <laughs> Chipotle had co-CEOs. Co Oracle. Yeah. Oh. Lots of them. We actually we, Googled it. We're yeah. like, have it, has anyone done because this? Because male investors were like, that's not going to work. Someone needs to be in charge. Really? Yeah. You need someone to pull rank uh -huh. or, like, break a tie. But then right. we just decided we need to – we're trying to build a company where people – like there's a consensus and we're not just, you know, like we're not just exercising our opinion and driving things forward. We want to use all the resources we have, you know, with our, within our team's knowledge. And yeah. so that was when we we're like, we can drive this as a consensus and we could have a tiebreaker who's one of our advisors who we ask then. Um, but our advisors, they're like friends now. We text with them, but it was, it's, you know, there are all these things that I think a certain type of person, a typical CEO, probably mostly men, let's be real, like, they don't want to share the spotlight with someone else. They want to be the single per point person. They want to have the ego, and, like, we didn't do that. But I'm, like, really the one. Oh! Okay. I kid, I kid. No, I don't. Um, what's your favorite thing that you've ever er overheard in the tap room? Since, oh, since we've wow. opened. What's your favorite thing, Hannah? Oh, my God. Yeah, you, you hear more than we I do. I mean, I, oh, it's okay. I ask this question usually to be shady because I've worked in hospitality for a long time yeah. and I hate people. Um, that's not true. Uh, that I, I can see, guests can never answer this question and I, am, I don't know the answer. I'm panicked. I, th I think really, I mean, my actual favorite thing is like 
oh, I don't even like beer and I like this. Mm-hmm. Like, um, that's my goal to convert people. Okay, this the, is beer? Yeah. The worst thing that we hear. <laughs> that's what I like. This is not. Uh, I'm this everything this on is a- not so much guests, but like, I can't tell you how many times we've sampled people on beer who don't know us, like an investor or someone coming in because they want to host an event here, and they're like, oh, it's actually not bad. And I was like, okay, Thanks. so in your mind, you thought we that this would be so bad that the fact that it's actually, actually good is like a turnaround situation for you? I mean, yeah. that's just... But then it's know. usually followed with, and you're brewing it? Your husbands are involved? Like, no. Mm. Love that. Actually, our kids just brew. It's yeah, like yeah. A nice little arbitrage yeah, there. Yeah, because you're you the owners. You can like you. It's a workaround of right, child right, labor right, laws. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Toddlers in a brewery. I see nothing. No problems there. Ugh. Um. Ooh. I'm surprised by my own question. What <laughs> is the last show that you binged and loved? Though, do you have time to watch TV? Honestly? Oh, yes. Yes. Okay, Nine good. strangers. Nine, Nine perfect, perfect strangers. strangers. Okay. Nicole Kidman doing some wig work. No. Ah. We see it. We see Learned it. a lot about microdosing on that show. Okay. A little interested in it. Okay. We can talk. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about that, but I have resources. Ooh, another drug-laden show. <laughs> White Lotus. They, oh, to yeah, me, they're yeah, kind of yeah, the same. Yeah, yeah. Right? What? I, I feel like they're very similar, right? They're the same oh, world. I didn't see the other one. I didn't but, either, but... yeah. I, I binged White Lotus in like two days, and yeah, I regret good. nothing. Yeah. Speaking of being on a beach, what's your desert island beer? Mm. Um, um, mm. Wait, wait, Founders Too Hearted. Be- no, Bell's, Bell's, Bell's Too Hearted. Too Hearted. Used to be Founders All Day IPA, but no, uh, yeah, mm. not so much anymore. Mm. Bell's Too Hearted. Mm-mm. Oh, um, I would take our... Oh, yeah. Indigo Crush. Oh, I mean, I would take a Talaya beer. You don't yeah. have to sit. They, the people are already here. They're going to order I've a beer. Said, I've been consistent about this. This isn't, isn't a gimmick. We have a series called Crush. It's a heavily fruited, a.k.a. lots of fruit added, Goza, a.k.a. a sour wheat beer brewed with coriander and sea salt. So we make this as a series, Crush Goza. We have Indigo Crush, which is blackberry, blueberry, and pink Himalayan sea salt. And we just packaged today Raspberry Crush, which was... One of the first sours we brewed. Wait, raspberry lime? No, no, just, just raspberry. Just straight up raspberry. And it is magenta and beautiful, 5.2%. Oh. Mm, perfect mm. beach beer. That's good, so I have to say. I can't wait. Well, if you could go on a plane right now, anywhere, COVID notwithstanding, where would you go? Probably Germany. Huh. We've been talking about Kolsch. Right. Ever since uh, going to Cologne. With three weavers, with Alex, right? Isn't that what they were talking about, Kolsch? Yes. Yeah. yeah. We were it, hearing about, like, the Kolsch ritual there, yeah. where, right. you know, they keep serving you Kolsch in these tall, thin glasses, and there's so this pretty. whole story about, you know, the Kolsch as a uh, uh, bottom ferment, or no, a cool fermented ale, like, it's very aromatic, and as you drink it in the tall, thin glasses, the aromas really open up as it warms up. So anyway, that storytelling obviously got us really excited to go to Cologne. The power of good storytelling. Well, I, I feel that a field trip is in order. Um, <laughs> right over like, to the bar, actually. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Talea offsite in Cologne. Right. Germany. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. 
and for employing me, but mainly for this mm. time and your kind words. Thank you all for being here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're, we're going longer than I thought, but you know what? I wasn't going to let these late, I wasn't going to try to shut them up. But seriously, as I've expressed to many of you, some of you I don't actually know, which blows my fucking mind. So thank you for being here. This is um, a labor of love that has been in the works for a very long time. <laughs> and I'm really proud um, that you all have come along on this journey with me. So thank you for taking your time. Um, I really, I appreciate it. I'm not crying, you're crying. Well, Tara Hankinson, Leanne Darland, Leanne Darland, Tara Hankinson, however we want to do the billing, we'll negotiate with your agents. I have some beer left. I do. Will you, water's fine, I don't give a shit. Um, will you take, take us out of season one of Brews with Broads with any toast you wish? There's kind of a lot of pressure, but I don't care. Oh. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be like a Cat and Garth, like say it at the same time thing, if you don't. Thank I you. I mean, I'll say what Leanne said earlier, don't let perfection be the enemy of progress and go after your dreams. Cheers to Cheers. that. Yeah. Yay. I honestly cannot even believe that happened. Tara and Leanne were so generous with their taproom space, their time, their stories, their kind words, all of it. Hearing how they've grown their business in such a short time, their experiences pitching to investors who don't understand their values and still standing strong in those values nonetheless, how they strive to make a space and beers that feel accessible and open to all, their experiences as new moms and new business owners, it all just blows my mind. I'm so grateful to them. Speaking of gratitude, as I wrap up the first season of this podcast and take a little break to regroup, I want to express my heartfelt appreciation to every single person listening. As I've said many times, making this podcast has been a dream of mine for years, and it's hard work, and I feel so lucky that you even want to listen to me. I would, of course, be nowhere without the absolutely phenomenal guests, the 25 individuals who have taken time out of their lives to talk to me for this project. Each one has inspired me in their own unique way, and I hope you all feel the same. Thank you again to everyone who came out to Tuesday's live show. I hope you had as much fun as I did. Thank you, as always, to Megan Bagala for our amazing music and Sabrina Rain at the Hoppiest Shop for our graphic. Thank you also to Will and Drew from Digital Island Studios for recording this at Talea on Tuesday. I will be back for season two in the spring, but never fear, beer friends. I'll still be doing my thing on the gram, so keep on following at Brews with Broads. Stay well, stay hydrated. I love you so much. Bye.